God's good. Glad to be here. While you're standing this morning, uh, one verse of scripture, St. John 9 and 5. St. John 9 and verse 5 says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Of course, that's Jesus talking. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so uh, today we're going to talk about, as we start this new series, we're going to be talking in the next few lessons about the great I am and some of the things that uh, when Jesus mentioned I am, some of the things that he said he was. And today we're going to talk about I am the light of the world. So let's pray for the lesson this morning. Just ask God to bless in this house. Lord, we love you. Love your word. We're thankful that you're everything we need. And we're thankful for the light that you give us. God bless us today. Let us receive your word into our hearts. Let it find good ground. Lord, that we can be a blessing in this life and be ready for the life to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Give him another hand clap as you're getting ready to be seated. God's good. Hallelujah. We appreciate the Lord today. Thank you. And you can be seated. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And since he is the light of the world, then uh, we trust him to empower us for his purposes. That's what uh, he is intended for us to do, to, to work and be as he is. Everybody says, I want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But uh, sometime later, he told us, ye are the light of the world. He wants us to be like him. And I, I want to be like him and... Uh, let people, when Jesus came, he came to reveal <clears throat> the Father unto us, and that's what he said you would do. You would uh, let the world see your good works so they could glorify your Father in heaven. We are never more like Jesus than when we are letting our light shine or doing good works, not our own works, but things that the Scripture lays forth for us to do. When Jesus made this statement, there was a, uh, a miracle of, that was uh, going to be happening, and uh, there's a narrative about a man who was born blind from birth in John 9, and uh, the narrative for our lesson says the day started just like any other. His parents led him down the same street, to the same street corner near the temple in Jerusalem where he begged daily for handouts. Some people who worked at or visited the temple were kind and generous, but many ignored him or even mocked him. The man entertained no notion of ever leading a normal life, let alone pursuing cherished dreams. He offered or he often wondered why he had been born this way and why did he have to suffer such a fate. That morning, he overheard a conversation nearby. They were discussing who had caused his blindness. Then someone claimed to be the light of the world. The next thing the man knew, someone applied moist clay to his eyes and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He followed orders, and immediately he could see. In one moment of time, his life changed forever. But then suddenly he was thrust into the center of a lively debate. Repeatedly he assured the inquiring neighbors <clears throat> and Pharisees that he was indeed the one born blind. He kept explaining how he had come to receive his sight that day, but the skeptical Pharisees insisted that his parents uh, be summoned to confirm that he was the man. They repeatedly interrogated the man about the individual responsible for healing his blindness. 
They were convinced that whoever that person was, he must be a sinner. But the man disagreed. How was it possible for someone who had healed blindness not to be someone sent from God? Now they're enraged, and the Pharisees claim to solve the very question that had haunted the man his entire life. Why was he born blind? Because he had been born into sin, they shouted. Convinced the man born blind was wicked and deceived, they excommunicated him and cast him from their synagogue. But that's not the end of the story. The once blind man encountered and expressed his belief in someone who stated that he was God's son. This person, whose name was Jesus, declared his purpose was to make those without sight see and make those who could see blind. And so we know the story. We, we've read, read it many times in the scripture. And, and it's amazing today that uh, it wasn't the blind man who was truly blind, but it was all the people who could not accept that he had received this great miracle from God. It was the Pharisees and those who uh, couldn't handle a loss of control that if we didn't do this miracle, then we can't acknowledge it. It's got to be uh, from a man who's a sinner. There's no way that this happened on, uh, with good intentions. There's, there's something wicked going on here, and you were born in, blind, you were born in sin, and, and you're wicked, and now you're trying to convince us, so they just cast him out. They can't explain it, so they just cast him out. But Jesus found him. And when you read that, when Jesus knew that he had been cast out, he went and found him and talked with him and, and assured him who he was. And so uh, this is nothing more than just uh, a representation of the battle that goes on in the world today, that Jesus is trying to show who he is and the world does not want to accept it. When you let your light shine before men and you start telling people about the Lord that saved you and blessed you, you're going to find a lot of people who will not listen to what you're saying. They, they may even still say, even after you're a miracle, nope, I know who uh, you are. You're wicked, you're evil, nothing's changed in you. They may still try to convince you that you're still lost, but you know, and that man knew, because he said, all I do know is this, is I know I was blind, but now I can see. And that's the thing is that you can never deny what Jesus has done in your life. You might not acknowledge, you could, you can go through that and not acknowledge it, but you can't deny it uh, or, or you'll be lying. If God delivered you, saved you, cleansed you, filled you, and you want to deny it, that's up to you or not acknowledge it, not testify about it. But if you deny it, you'd be lying because when he does a work, it's going to be evident somewhere. Somebody's going to see it. And I'm thankful today that God has done a work in our life. <clears throat> but this conflict between light and darkness goes all the way back to when the Lord created the, the heavens and the earth. The first creative act that God performed was to generate light and distinguish it from darkness. He, he said, let there be light. And light invaded darkness and drove it away because darkness cannot exist where light is. It can be you come in this room or go in a room where there's no windows, it's dark. Flip the light on, where'd the darkness go? It can't stay where the light is. God intentionally separated light and darkness because they're in, incompatible. They can't stay together. And then he gives each in, entity a name. And in Genesis 1 and 5, it says he called the light day and the darkness he called night. 
And uh, this was the initial marking of time because this was instituted the first day. But this is very important to see is that God from the beginning intended for light and darkness to be separate. And then he names the light day. And uh, so that is actually important to us. More, you know, it's more than just how the world began. God's always given us a peek into what he desires of his people, that there was a plan from the very beginning. Uh, Paul wrote about it uh, when he wrote to the church in uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 4. He said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. That means if God separated light and darkness in the beginning, he still intends for light and darkness to be separated, that we cannot have fellowship with those things of this world. He said, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And so he's basically telling us if we're of the day, let people see what God has done in your life. Let the light shine. Jesus is the light of the world. We're the light of the world. He lives inside of you. How can you, you he does not change who he is when he moves in. You become who he is. We don't change him. He changes us. You know, there was a, uh, there's a scripture that talks about uh, Jesus comes down from preaching on the mountain and a leper comes to him for healing. And before he's ever healed, Jesus reaches out and, and lays his hand on him. Now, according to custom, in, uh, to law, uh, if you touch a leper, you're unclean. But Jesus wasn't afraid because he knew that there's nothing wrong with this man that uh, that would affect him, but he knew that his holiness, his righteousness, his virtue would actually affect him. And so Jesus laid his hand on him, spoke the words, and the man was healed. And guess what? Jesus wasn't unclean. He didn't have to go separate himself. He didn't have to go through any of those things because nothing that's wrong in this world can affect the holiness and righteousness of Jesus. He is who he is. And when he moves into us, if we will let that light shine, there ain't nothing in this world that can bother you. That doesn't mean you can partake in ungodly things. I'm talking about as you go through this world and things approach you, you've got power over those things because of who lives inside of you. And so I'm thankful today that the light of the world has moved in and it drives darkness away. Now, on the fourth day of creation, God extended the function of each light, uh, lest darkness should prevail. He placed the sun, moon, and stars in the heavens. He assigned dominion to the sun and the moon, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. By distributing these heavenly bodies, investing them with authority, he sought to divide the light from the darkness. So God assured us he wants his created order, including us, to be illuminated by light. He didn't want us to live on this earth and walk in darkness. You ain't going to get much done while it's dark. Jesus said you need to work while it's day because the night's coming and no man can work. I know we got guys that work the night shift, but you're inside of a building where there's light. 
We're not walking around in the dark. Uh, they didn't have um, electricity, and they didn't have big floodlights, and they said, you can't build in the dark, and you can't uh, build furniture and houses in the dark. They had to wait till it was daytime so that they could work, and so he, he doesn't want his uh, creation, his people, to be in darkness. He didn't want animals to have to just live in darkness. He didn't want the, the world to be covered in darkness. He has always intended for us to have light. That's why we, uh, not just talking about natural light or, or electric light, but God wants light in our life. Well, how does that come? It comes through the Word of God. Psalm 119 and 105 says that His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, as I am walking this walk and walking by faith and walking on the straight and narrow, as long as I have His Word, I'll be able to see where I'm going. In Psalm 119 and 130, it says that the entrance of your Word giveth light and it gives understanding to the simple. In other words, we never have to be in darkness or confused or wondering what's going on as long as we have the Word of God. And if we are living by the Word, then we're living not just by the light, but in the light. I want to walk in the light. In Ephesians 5 and 8, it said we were sometimes in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord? Only light comes from Him. He's the true light. Walk as children of light. We're his children. Don't let the apple fall far from the tree. You know, we were talking a lot about fathers today and things like that, and that's sometimes people use that expression, that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Well, uh, that is expressly or especially true as I think about the Lord, my heavenly Father. I don't want to fall far from the tree. <laughs> I want to make sure that I am uh, a good example of who he is and what he is. In 1 John 1 and 7, uh, he said, Walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, that's definitely something we want to happen. So walk in the light because he's in the light. There's no way to be successful uh, living for him outside of him. You've got to stay with him. And then in John 11 and 9, Jesus gives an example. Are not there 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he sees the light of the world. Now, he's talking about natural, uh, that, you know, there's, there's no reason, of course, we get distracted. You might fall down in, the, in daylight. <laughs> you might trip. Uh, I, you know, we fall upstairs, downstairs. You know, we trip over our own feet. Or if you've got pets, you know, that you're going to step on them or trip over them because they love to get right under your feet. But he's saying that if you're walking around outside in the daylight, you can see every obstacle that's coming your way because so you don't stumble because you see the light of this world. Well, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So if I walk in his light, there is no occasion for me to stumble because he is the light of the world. Now, I know that people say, well, people aren't perfect. I understand that, and I believe that. I know that people make mistakes. But we should not live and wake up every day expecting to make a mistake. You shouldn't just say, oh, well, here I am. I'm just human, and I'm just going to blow it today. Why? Why not live a life that is pleasing unto him all day? Those 12 hours is in a day, can we not live 12 hours without disappointing God? 
<laughs> well, well, come on. Can't we live at least 12 hours? You know, years ago, a, a guy was saying, you know, people that don't have car accidents, he said, you know, can you drive a mile without having a wreck? Well, sure. Well, then just drive each mile the same way you drove the first mile. Be watching, be careful, obey the laws, do things like that. Of course, I know you got to look out for other people, but that's what he was saying is like, can't you drive one mile without having a wreck? Well, sure. Well, then drive every mile like that mile. Well, uh, then live every hour. I can live an hour without disappointing God. Well, then live every hour like that hour. Twelve hours in a day? You know, I, believe me, I'm not saying that anybody's going to be just sin-free for the rest of their life, but I will not surrender myself to say, eh, it's just, it's just sin. That's what happens to people. That's what we do. No, that's not what we do. That's what we try not to do. And I think if I can do all things through Christ, I can live at least 12 hours. I can live 12 hours, not do anything to disappoint him, then go to bed. Get in the bed. Go to sleep. You can't do nothing while you're sleeping. So then wake up and say, I'm going to do another 12. And I'm going to do another 12. And, you know, if you, and if you slip and you mess up, then, hey, ask God to forgive you and get back up, dust yourself off, and say, here we go again. Just like on your workout routine or your, you know, people say, man, I've been, been eating good, been doing good for about two years, and I hadn't had this, hadn't had that. And then one weekend you eat about three dozen donuts and all this. Glow. Well, that's all right. After you get over being sick, get back on it. Start going again. Just do what you're supposed to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the light of the world. Walk in the light. If you can walk and see the light of this world, you won't stumble. I don't want to disappoint him. I know that I'm human. I'm flesh, and I'm, I'm apt to do it. But I believe if I really try, and if I really believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, that I can live like the light of the world. As I live in the light, I can live like the light and do what God wants me to do. Don't you think that's all right? That's all right. Well, in the Old Testament, this theme of light and darkness, it continued. Uh, in the ninth of the tenth plagues that preceded the exodus from Egypt, the Lord brought extreme and total darkness on the land for three days. But this darkness constituted, uh, you know, especially this was something that was a, you know, a sign that was just a slap in the face to the gods of Egypt because they had the sun god, Ra. And God's showing him, I'm God. <laughs> when Pharaoh said, who is this God? Well, I'm about to show you. And so, they could pray to the sun god, hey, give us some light. Because he ain't nothing but a statue. He, he can't do anything. But by God separating light and darkness, he wanted to highlight his power, sovereignty, and holiness and draw attention to his special consecrated people and challenge the oppressive Egyptian regime with its ungodly uh, poly polytheistic practices, which means they worshiped multiple gods. He was trying to let them know, I'm the only god. I'm the true God, and I control the light and the darkness because I created it. And so when the Lord led his people out of Egypt, their journey across the wilderness, he provided a pillar of a cloud to direct them during the day and a pillar of fire to guide them at night. When God was about to part the Red Sea uh, in front of them, they were trapped because Pharaoh was behind them and the sea was in front of them. Uh, the Lord, he brought uh, a cloud to separate both of them. But to the Israelites, it was light. 
and it helped them to see, but to the Egyptians, it was darkness and confusion. And uh, that's the way the world is. They, they see the glory of God. They, they don't understand it. It's darkness and confusion to them. But God was protecting them, and he said, I'll, I'll put them in the dark, put my people in the light, and I'm going to get them across uh, this Red Sea, and every, everything's going to be all right. They're going to see what I can do. Later, uh, when Moses and Israel are out, there's uh, bright lightning and fire that shines on the top of Mount Sinai. When Moses comes down from spending time with God, it said his face was shining and that the people couldn't even look on, on him because he had spent time with God. In the tabernacle, there was a golden lampstand to illuminate the interior of the holy place, and God's overwhelming majesty entered the tabernacle. All these things signified God's holy presence and his glory. And so for us, we realize that Jesus came into the world to bring light in a dark place. Mark, or in Matthew, <clears throat> he recorded uh, actually Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9 and 1 and 2, but in Matthew 4 and 16, uh, he said, The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. And so the, the area of Galilee, uh, while sin and death had shrouded this Gentile region, region, Jesus in his presence and his preaching would bring illumination. Whenever Jesus shows up, light and life accompany him because wherever he is, there's light. He's the light of the world. He's the word made flesh, and his word is a light. So anywhere Jesus was, there was light. The Lord does not want us stuck in the darkness. That's why Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2 and 9, that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He was very specific. I need you to know that I'm calling you out of darkness into my marvelous light. Not man's light, not the world's light, but my light. And so Luke also records this uh, in, in Luke uh, 1 and, and 79. Zacharias prophesied about the Savior saying, that he came to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then Simeon also praised uh, the infant Jesus in song, saying this in Luke 2 and 32, that he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So even as a, a child coming in, there's so many references to him being the light. Before Jesus ever proclaims it in John 9, uh, the prophets have already said he would be light in a dark world. And then uh, as he comes into the place, uh, people recognize and are moved on by the Holy Ghost and speak the fulfillment of these prophecies over him, that he would be a light to lighten his people. He would be a light to the Gentiles. He's going to give light to people that sit in darkness. I'm glad today that Jesus is always trying to get us out of dark places. Now, as we move on in the New Testament, John uh, writes his gospel. And in that, uh, he presents Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says that, and all things were made by him. And there's nothing made that is made that was made, it wasn't made unless he was part of it. He made it all. Everything. That's John 1 and 3. But uh, by this means of incarnation, a brand new creation was ushered in. In this new creation, God will now dwell among his people, and the word, which was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that means light 
is dwelling among us. And so key to this new creation was the appearance of light, just as God's brilliant glory illuminated the original tabernacle after its completion. Uh, the word, uh, John 1 and 14, I didn't give you that, or maybe I did, if you put John 1 and 14 up. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, just leave that up for a minute because the word dwelt there doesn't mean like he just lived next door to me. That means he tabernacled among me. When you read that, when you look at the word that's translated, it actually means uh, the word is skenu. Uh, it means to tent or to encamp, uh, to uh, abide as God did in the tabernacle of old, a sign of protection and communion. So it wasn't just that now God's just going to be walking around seeing what's up on the earth. When the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, it was, uh, and we beheld his glory, it was just like the tabernacle in the days of Moses that the glory of God was seen in the tabernacle. The glory of God was seen in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what I'm saying. God, the one God, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That one God, not God Jr., but that one God, he came and dwelt, wrapped himself in a robe of flesh, tabernacled among us. And he was there for our protection. He was there for communion. He was there to, to be with us. So that God said, I'm going to make a way that I can be with them because God's invisible. The scripture says that God is a spirit and that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so uh, for us to see God, uh, we would have to see him in a robe of flesh. That's the only way you'll see him. You will never see any image of God outside of the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus come to reveal the Father, the Father of lights. You know what the Scripture says? Every good gift, every perfect gift that's from above comes from the Father of lights. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. He came to reveal the Father of lights. That's why he would say, I am the light of the world. And so in the very opening of John's gospel, uh, he re, uh, the opening of John's gospel thus reconsidered and expounded upon the theme of light that was first introduced in Genesis 1. In John 1 and 4, it says, Jesus' life brought light. As with the first creation, the age-old conflict between light and darkness has not subsided. John 1 and 5 tells us that. Uh, John the Baptist came to bear witness of the light. That's John 6, 1, 6 through 8. Jesus offers the true light universally to all people everywhere to illuminate Every man that comes into the world, that's John 1 and 9. So John is trying to tell us, as you read this gospel, you need to make sure you're understanding that I'm talking about the light of the world. The theme of light is all the way through the book of John. You'll see it in several different places. And so Jesus, the light Jesus brings was to expose his identity and his purpose. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven claims about himself in the form of I am. He said first that uh, one place he said, I am bread. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so there are these statements that Jesus made about who I am. Uh, but significantly, the second of these uh, what we're looking at today, I am the light of the world. So uh, 
we can understand that he's trying to reveal who he is. God is holy. His very nature is light and not darkness. He is ethically and morally pure. Jesus has come to reveal the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And this God is wholly invisible to, to the physical human eyes, yet Jesus has made him plain so that he may be seen. And that's why John, Jesus said in John 14, if one, anybody has seen me, he has seen the Father. Not, you got to look nowhere else, right here. He said, if you, you see me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not pointing anywhere else. Not to, he's not saying, I'm on his right side. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's, there's nobody else. This, this is it. This is who we are. And so um, the light that Jesus gives and the light that's in us and the light of his word exposes our identity and the condition of our heart. That's why I was saying it's, it's so important for us to abide in the light and walk in the light. Because if you are in the light, not only will you not stumble, but the light will keep you accountable. Because people can see what you're doing. The scripture said, you know, I believe in John 3, around 316, 317, and uh, in those areas, it's talking about how uh, people loved darkness. They, 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 they didn't want uh, to be in the light. They wanted the darkness so nobody could see what they were doing. They hide in the dark. They do wicked things in the dark, and they, they think they're not seen in the dark, but God sees in the dark and the light. But this world will see you if you walk in the light. The light will keep you accountable. It'll keep you honest. If you live by the word, it'll keep you honest. If you live by the word, it will keep you accountable, and it will, uh, it will stop you from going places you shouldn't go and doing things you shouldn't do if you follow it. Seeing it, reading it, hearing it, that's not following it. you got to apply it. And if you'll, that's why the Word is so important. Because if you grab it, if you say, this is it, I'm going to hide this Word in my heart. So I'll have, basically I'm saying, I'm going to have light in my heart so I don't stumble. But if this Word is in my heart and I'm hanging on to it, then I have no reason to stumble. It's only when I turn the light off that I can't see where I'm going. I want to make sure uh, and understand that the light, the Word, and that's why we'll be judged by the Word of God. The light exposes our identities, the conditions of our heart, the light that Jesus brings. is not intended to merely shine pretty like a lamp and be admired for its beauty. Rather, it is an active, aggressive light that invades the territory of its rival. John 1 and 5 says, and the light shineth in darkness. That light is pushing darkness back. It says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. But another version of that says that, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so the light shines in darkness, and darkness can't overcome it. Because Jesus said, I'll build a church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, you can, nothing can overcome the light of God's Word. And so if darkness can't overcome that, I think that uh, since He is the Word and the Word is light, we need to get some Word in us and some Word in our life because darkness cannot overcome the light. The, the, the greater light was the day. 
We're the children of the day, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God has set us up for victory. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Hey, you know what happens? The sun goes down, but the sun comes back up. Sometimes we fall down, but then we get back up. Be like children of the day. The day's always going to roll back around. But it's dark. It sure is dark now. Yeah, the sun's good, but it's coming back up. Sometimes we've, we've slipped and we fall. Get back up. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And it says the Lord will be a light. Let me tell you, God knows what he's doing. He has set us up for victory. He set us up to walk and be victorious and serve him. I do not believe that he, I mean, I know what he knows about us. He understands man. You're not telling him nothing when it comes to men. He created us. But he also knows that it is possible to do the things that Jesus did and Jesus lived without mistake. So I think that we can at least live great portions of time without mistakes. Your heart should always be ready to repent. Don't ever get lifted up in yourself and say, man, it can't nothing touch me. Uh, boy, your pride goeth before destruction. Stay humble. Know that it's God's grace and mercy that keeps you going. But don't just say, well, I'm, just, I'm sure I'll blow it in this situation because as a man thinketh in his heart, if you think I'm just going to mess up, make mistakes, then there you go. You will. Uh, nobody will be surprised. But when you say, I'm going to live in God's word, I'm going to walk by his word, I'm going to serve him in his word, that's when people can look at you and say, man, that's a godly person. Have you got something... Think about it, mostly it goes to our elders and people that have gone on. But you look at them and you think, man, they didn't ever do nothing wrong. Oh, yeah, come on now. Yes, they did. I'm trying to be ugly, but yes, they did. And they would tell you they did. And they would tell you, I pray for God's mercy and I, I, I wanted God to keep me. I remember I used to hear uh, Sister Everhart praying, God, just let me be closer to you. And I used to think, how much closer can you be? I mean, she was an angel. I mean, it's like, you know, she, uh, to me, that was the person, if there was nobody that could do no wrong, that was her. You know, but she would pray all the time, God, just let me be closer and, and Lord, don't let me slip. And, don't, you know, understanding that how fragile this life is and how fragile humanity is, I need, the only way I can live this life pure is with Jesus. And so, she would pray like that, but we say that about people because we never saw what we saw was them living godly and holy and, and righteously. And you know how they did that? They did it by staying in his word and staying faithful to him. They stayed in the light as he was in the light. I want to stay in the light. The light of Jesus will reach deep into the human situation, soul, and will, exposing the truth of our inner and outer lives. Jesus knows all things about us. Uh, he knows our sincerity or our insincerity. Uh, and John uh, 2 and 24 said, He knew all men and needed not that any should testify men, for he knew what was in man. God knows what's in us. And he also knows that when he moves in, I'm in there. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So God knows what's going on in man. He saw, uh, before he ever met him, he saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. Where did Nathaniel go? If, if Nathaniel's sitting under the fig tree, he's making jelly. 
Where's he at? There he is. Yeah, that man can make some stuff. But he saw the Samaritan woman that she had had five husbands, and the one she was with now was not her husband. She, he knew all these things. Nobody had to tell him. He knew this stuff. Uh, his When he, he saw the way Judas was, he knew, hey, haven't I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? He knew what was going on in the heart of Judas, and he also knew uh, about the spiritual blindness that the Pharisees had in this story that we started out with. God knows what man is all about. But Jesus wants us to respond with faith. When the light of Jesus shines into our lives and hearts, there's only two possible responses. You either reject it, reject the light and embrace darkness, or you embrace light and reject darkness. You gotta, you're going to grab one and let go of the other. I want to embrace the light and reject the darkness. But sadly, many will not receive the light However, others will receive it and experience new birth and be transformed uh, into the life purpose that God wants you to have. In John chapter 12, it was the turning point in John's gospel. It sums up the results of Jesus' public ministry. And many people who heard his message opposed the light. Soon Judas would betray him. So in John 12, Jesus announces that the precious light would not remain much longer. He admonished his hearers to walk in the light to avoid having darkness come upon them and obscure their path. And then uh, they were to believe in the light so they could become children of light. But unfortunately, very few had trusted Isaiah's prophetic report and they chose blindness over sight and healing. And like the blind man in John 9, the Lord wants us to respond to his spirit with faith, allowing his light to illuminate our way forward. We are to follow him no matter where he leads, even to the point of death. He seeks nothing less than total commitment. True discipleship involves counting the cost and being sold out to God's purposes. Throughout the book of Acts, we see people who reacted to the light of the gospel by turning their lives over to Jesus. What about Paul? He reacted to the light. God laid him down on the road and said there was a light that was brighter than the sun because he's the true light. It is something that you can look into light and either be blind or you can look into light and see. Somebody shines a light bright enough in your eyes, it'll blind you. But if you turn it in the right direction, you can see. I don't want to be blinded by the light. I want to see with the light. So whatever our condition or situation, when the light shines on us, Jesus can work out his divine purpose in us. As the disciples pondered the underlying reason for the man's blindness in John 9, they wondered if somehow his parents were responsible or, and this is what was so crazy to me, if the man had sinned in the womb. How? I don't even know, uh, you know, what face Jesus made when they said that. Really? But he redirects, um, and he tells them none of these are a factor. This is not what happened, he, and he gets them to, to look and see that uh, this is God's purpose at work. I'm doing something here. The man's condition would ultimately bring glory to God. The man's faith, the miracle of his sight, and his ensuing interaction with the Pharisees would serve as powerful illustrations of proper and improper responses to the presence of the light of the world. Viewed from a natural perspective, the man's blindness severely limited his goals and pursuits he could not aspire to lofty dreams and ambitions. Like virtually all blind people in that day, 
His day-to-day existence was relegated to begging on the streets. As with the sudden catastrophes that overtook the righteous man Job, we cannot always understand why bad things happen. But through such unexpected and unexplainable calamities and misfortunes, we must remain faithful to him who called us. Like the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, we can focus on our circumstance and infirmities and offer excuses why God cannot work, or we can pick up our bed and walk. Imagine if the blind man had not obeyed the light that Jesus brought. What if he had refused to follow the instructions to wash in the pool of Siloam? Then there would not have been a miraculous sign, no lively dialogue between the man and the Pharisees to teach us about responding to the light. One man, uh, an author, his name is Alan Culpepper, he wrote a book about the Gospels of the letter of John, and he made a comment and an observation on this uh, sign. And he says, In the course of the story... The nature of sin has also become clear. Sin lies not in being born blind, but in refusing to see when one is confronted with the light. So who could really see and who who was really blind that day? The people who refused it, those were the ones that were blind. The blind man is therefore a model for every person. It is doubtful that the blind man woke up that day expecting to be healed but thank God that he responded and obeyed the commands that Jesus gave him. So we, we, we get to learn from his example. You know, you never know what's coming your way in a day, how God's going to move. Be ready to respond in faith because God's trying to turn the light on. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to let you see that I am listening, that I am working. And so don't be surprised when God answers because he will. He will answer. I always think about them. Honey, you can come to the music. I'm getting ready to close. I always think about them praying for Peter in prison. And he's stuck between two soldiers and locked fast in the prison. And uh, angel comes and wakes him up and gets him out of there. But where they're at the house hiding and praying, he's knocking on the door. And they leave him standing out there knocking. The woman comes and answers the door. She sh- I, I always imagine like a little thing. She opens up and looks and then shuts it back and goes running back in there. Who was it? It was Peter. Well, that must be his, a ghost or a spirit or something because we know he's locked up in jail. What did you think was going to happen? You was praying for it. And God's answer, he's a prayer answering God, so uh, you, you need to open the door. What Peter had said, fine, and just went on walking down the street, and they just went, opened the door and said, I told you he wasn't here. People have missed the miracle because they won't open the door. Open the door, respond in faith, and let, let the Lord uh, bless you. And, and so when, when God comes to us in our situation, how are we going to respond? Let's stand together this morning. And as we get uh, ready to pray together, won't you thank the Lord for shining light in your darkness? I know that he has before. Let's lift our hands and pray and just thank him. Lord, we just give you glory and honor, and we thank you for shining your light into our darkness. Thank you for the hope that you give. I pray that you would just remove any darkness from our lives, from our hearts. Lord, we trust you and we're going to put our faith in you. Lord, every one of us has a purpose to let our light shine. So I pray today that we will be the best image of you that we can be, the light of the world. Keep us, watch over us, and help us to do our best for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand this morning. 
I'm glad to be a child of the light. Because I was a child, you know, Scripture tells us that we were children of darkness at one time. But the Bible says that the Spirit is the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of adoption. So I was adopted into the, into the body. And, and, and when an adoption is done like that, and it's, you know, in this world, uh, we know a little bit about that. But when there's an adoption done, and it's all done right, and it's all legal, whoever the adopting parents are, they're the parents. They got all, they're the legal guardians, the legal parents. It doesn't matter about anybody else now. It's them. When the Lord adopted me, now he's got all rights to me. And this world ain't got no claim on me. It ain't got no hold on me. And so uh, I'm thankful for the Lord this morning. Praise God. Let's find a place and pray before the next service. We'll say a little bit about our dads and honor them. Uh, this Again, anybody that's come in, happy Father's Day. If it applies, God bless you.